Welcome to the Questions of Faith podcast. I'm Brad Stevens here with Dr. Timothy Laredo. And the question that we will be asking the doctor today is, what is the gospel and why does it matter? Yeah, the gospel is such a simple word and one which, uh, like a lot of things, sometimes we may assume that we really get the whole picture on. But I really hope that uh, you'll you'll dive into this episode, uh, even if you think, maybe I got the gospel, maybe I really understand it. Uh, maybe this episode will help to take it to another level for you in appreciation of what it means. And also, we're going to look at the end uh, at some false gospels and see uh, how they impact our thought processes and our lives if we're not careful. So jumping on into this episode today, we've kind of touched on this subject, I feel, through uh, previous podcasts in some ways, maybe like The Kingdom mm-hmm. um, and some others, but we're focusing in just on the gospel today, what it is. Uh, I believe usually you go what it is, what it isn't, mm-hmm. and then I think at the end we're going to talk about why it matters. Yeah. Yeah. So the gospel is one of those terms and words that is it's thrown a lot or thrown around a lot. You know, it's one of those, especially if you've been raised in church. Uh, you know, you are very familiar with the term gospel, but it's very a churchy word, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not in a church context, you know, like the gospel uh, is is more terms of like, well, that's the gospel. You're saying, well, that's the truth. Like, that's what you're, you're saying when you say that. But, uh, you know, as I found a lot of times when the more familiar people are with terms, they think they really understand. But if they don't, they can assume they know what something means when in fact they really don't understand it at all. And the term gospel is one of those terms that I see a lot of people think they know really what it's all about and what it means. But when you really push them to be like, well, explain what is the gospel? It's, we get crickets. Yeah, it's kind of one of those, well, you know, the gospel, right? <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus loves you, right? Those type of stuff. And I really want this episode to be one which is helpful at a deep level that goes beyond just the surface uh, head knowledge that, that, you know, I know we do a lot of information, give a lot of people head knowledge, and that's good. Uh, but I really hope that this will help the gospel to mean something more than uh, what it maybe has meant to you before. And so... We'll get into uh, a little bit of the technical term at first just to help us as a launching pad. But, you know, the Greek word for gospel, euangelion, it just simply means good news, right? You uh, is this, uh, this, this terminology which is meaning good, and euangelion, the, the angelion part is where we get the word angel, messenger, um, news, message, uh, all that the word angel, angelos, it just means messenger or message. Mm-hmm. And so this- So really it's, it's a messenger bringing something good. Yes. Good tidings. Yes. Good yes. things are coming. Yes, exactly. But when you think about it as a definition, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, good news- <laughs> Okay, about what? Like th- that doesn't even explain anything. That's a that's a horrible explanation about what this means. And I think that's one of the problems when we get with terms like the gospel is the fact that because it can be so malleable, it can mean so many different things in different contexts that are often unbiblical that we can make the good news whatever we want to make the good news. Mm. 
And that's not what it is from a biblical perspective at all. And I think that's one of the problems that we come to when we come to the gospel is this idea that it can people want to fashion it and make it into extra biblical things. But if we're going to understand what this good news is, what this gospel is, I think it's really important that we first understand what's the bad news. <laughs> because the good news doesn't make any sense at all unless we have the bad news. Mm-hmm. Because the good isn't good unless there is bad. Yeah. It, 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 within context, it makes absolutely no sense at all. And it fails to really appreciate the goodness of the news unless we really understand the, the weight yeah, of the bad. Yeah, exactly. The why. And we've done whole episodes on this, this, this topic that I'm going to talk about here briefly. But just for the sake of this episode, I think we really need to just hit it for just one second here. And if you want more information, you can go back and look at some of our older episodes but but the bad news really is this aspect of the as sinful creatures we are under the wrath of god and i don't know when the last time you heard a message on the wrath of god was but uh, a lot of context especially unfortunately within pentecostalism a lot of times the wrath of god is it's either completely ignored or it is done in a way in which you're damned and there's no hope for you, right? There's there's no it's it's all bad news of the wrath. It's and, all or nothing. Yeah, yeah. Or without the good news, and that's not the gospel either. Just being the bad news. But I think uh, for a lot of us, especially in our society today, there needs to be a revival of understanding the wrath of God. To have a correct appreciation, a biblical appreciation for the effects of sin and the way in which, as sinful creatures, the results of our sin puts us under the wrath of God. And being under the wrath of God is not like being under the wrath of any other being, right? I mean, it's not like... You know, anybody else being mad at you or having wrath towards you. The wrath of God is is immeasurably deeper than that. That that sin, that my sin, your sin, by the very definition of our act against God, that we have committed offenses to God, that our sin has uh, what Paul talked about, it, it has made a, a wall of division. It has created this barrier by which we are unapproachable to God, that our unholiness is 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 so putrid to God, is so vile to God that we have no 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 ability to approach a holy God at all, and that our sin, our rejecting of God's law, and our uh, complete willful um, rejection of what he has said is good, we have, we have become under his wrath. And, you know, many people want to think about, you know, the love of God, <laughs> and 
the the faithfulness of God and all of those things. And those are just as much a part of God in his nature and should be focused on. But the wrath of God is something that, that the Bible doesn't shy away from or doesn't tiptoe around like a lot in modern society would want to tiptoe around. Uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That, that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against ungodliness. And he goes down through a whole list of ways in which this wrath of God is being is being revealed. And it's being revealed in the fact that we are willfully sinning against God and have made idols of of ourself and our will above the will of God. And I mean, he makes Paul in Romans one is just so amazing. He he makes this whole progression of showing how all of these things are are leading to the ultimate damnation of humanity as we live under the wrath of God by making ourselves an idol and making things of this world idol. And it puts us under, ultimately, under the wrath of God. And that's, again, when we think about the wrath of God, sometimes we think about the wrath of God as being this thing that, you know, well, I sinned and I didn't feel the wrath of God, so I must be okay. But understanding that the wrath of God is something that is, it's it's not revealed until the second coming. It's not revealed until judgment day. And that that no sin is going to to be unjudged. And that apart from God, and we're gonna get to the good news here in a minute, but apart from Christ and his work, that like that all sin that I have committed, it is the rightful uh, place that I should receive from that is the judgment and the wrath of God uh, being poured out upon me, and that that that's going to take place. That the wrath of God is going to take place at the second coming. And uh, don't want to get too much into that, but this idea that the wrath of God is something that people think that well, since I don't experience it in the moment that it's not real is is this total total minimizing of the reality of the weight of sin. And um, Jesus talked about that in John chapter 3. He talked about that he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So John chapter three, um, Jesus meets with Nicodemus, and you know the famous John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Preach that, preach that, preach that. That's awesome. Go ahead and preach the whole context of this idea of that Jesus is clearly laying out that if you believe in me as the Son, you have eternal life. But if you don't obey, if you don't Obey, I think it's really, I don't have time to get into all this, but he contrasts belief and obedience. That A lot of times people think that belief is just a head knowledge thing, but belief and behavior are intrinsically tied together. That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter because 6. Because you truly believe what you do. Exactly. And Paul talks about this in Romans 6 when 
He talks about being a slave. He says, don't you know that you're slave to the one that you obey? That your, your master is the one you really obey, whether that's uh, to sin unto death or it's righteousness unto life. And so Jesus is helping understand this aspect of, you know, if you believe, if you obey, your allegiance is in the Son, you have eternal life. But if you don't, and your, your allegiance, your obedience is not unto the Son, you're not going to see life, but you're going to be under the wrath of God. And that is the bad news. And the bad news is that all of us as fallen human creatures are under the wrath of God. That by nature, the Bible says, that we are the children of wrath. That's Ephesians 2. That our very nature is one in which we are inheritance, our inheritance is one of, uh, of wrath. That we produce that which is sinful and that which is a product of things which are under the wrath of God. And that results, that sin results in death, right? And that death being not just a physical one, although it has that implication, but it's an eternal death. Um, I don't want to get into too many rabbit trails on this episode, but this idea that, you know, we talk about the afterlife, but the afterlife is only true for the believer. Mm. There's afterlife, mm-hmm. but for the one who's not, who's under the wrath of God, it's the after death. That that the reality uh, that's what Revelation writer calls the second death, and so that is the predisposed position of humanity because of fallen, willful choices of humanity. Our nature is one in which we are predisposed to being under the wrath of God, leading to eternal death and damnation. Mm-hmm. And it's right. It's just. It's just. It, it, what, yes. It's what has to happen. Yes. If a holy God is going to be yes. righteous, if a holy God is going to be just, um, then that's the bad news. And mm-hmm. and sitting with that, yes, and, and, and feeling that weight, mm-hmm. it it puts you in a bad place. It should. It, it puts you in a dark place. <laughs> it of, of it understanding. should. Yeah. If you really grasp mm-hmm. that, if you really understand that. If you really feel the reality of that, you can't walk away from sitting with that understanding. Going, oh, oh well. Yeah, yeah. That's sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, because if you do that, you really don't understand it. You really Mm -hmm. haven't sat with it. You really Mm -hmm. don't understand the fact that the reality of the eternal aspect of my sin resulting in me being under the wrath of God and being separated from and his presence putting myself there mm-hmm. making that choice mm-hmm. you know subconsciously or consciously going against God sure yeah you, you made that choice we all have yeah yeah and there is no other option mm-hmm. until the good news comes yeah and i i i brought in that bad news and the weightiness of that because it makes the good news good news, right? It really does help to reorientate ourselves to the, the power of the gospel. That the gospel is not just about, you know, having good doctrine. That the gospel is not just about, you know, going to church or doing religious things. But the gospel really at its core, the good news is, is this understanding that 
that Christ took the wrath of God for me. That Christ on the cross, he paid the penalty of my, my, my debt of wrath. That the thing that made the cross awful wasn't the nails or the, cr- or, or the crown or the whip or anything, but it was literally the fact that the Son of God, for the first time in mm-hmm. eternity, has now been separated from his father mm-hmm. because he has the sins of the world upon him. We've talked about it in the Heaven and Hell episodes mm-hmm. and about yeah. what makes hell hell and mm-hmm. Gehenna and yeah, you know, even yeah, the yeah, lake yeah. of fire and that separation mm-hmm. from God, you know, that, that separation from the life giver. Yes. And on the cross, Jesus says, you know, we, we found out that God turns his back on mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. There is that separation. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that's what we deserved. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are on the road to get. Yes, absolutely. But he took that, our place. Mm-hmm. He took that wrath. Yeah. He took that separation. Yeah, yeah. And to have that 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 recognition and that understanding and that that, that appropriate uh, appreciation for that is one in which, unfortunately, I think a lot of times, you know, we we gloss over when we talk about the gospel. When we talk about the gospel, it's just this, you know, ask Jesus into your heart, um, you know, this this kind of real light, loose. Uh, no commitment associated with it, no weight associated with it. Just, you know, give Jesus your heart and he'll make your life better. And that's just not the gospel in any way, shape, or form. It's not. But the gospel, ha- the good news has to have that connecting balance weight mm-hmm. of the bad news in order for it to even make sense or to have any real depth to it at all. Mm-hmm. And, and with that, because I want to add one more aspect to this idea of understanding the good news, the gospel, is that the gospel is, is, is about Jesus, and it's about his work on the cross, but it's also about him setting up his unearthly kingdom. It's also about him establishing himself as the king and this, the gospel is about the installation of Jesus Christ as the king. And this is an aspect of the gospel that a lot of people, especially within Pentecostalism, really haven't got a good grasp on. That this connection between the good news, the gospel, and the installation of Christ as king is, is paramount to understanding what the gospel is. Uh, so... Let's just sit with where we've been for a minute, and uh, then I want to dive into this aspect of seeing how the, that Christ being king is connected to the gospel.
we jump into the next segment on talking about this kingdom, that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite topics to talk mm-hmm. about. I want to backtrack and say, though, to the person that is witnessing to the unbeliever, mm. how much of the gospel needs to be understood for them to accept the gospel, the good news? Well, they have to understand the the bad news. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I mean, they have to understand the 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 good news. Again, doesn't make sense apart from the bad news. Uh, so the recognition of our place and what yes, we have done, our sin, and the repercussions for it. Yes, yes. I mean, what is salvation if you? It doesn't mean if anything you if you don't know that. What you are you need saved from? Saved. What are you saved from? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't make any salvation apart from knowing and understanding what you need to be saved from. Is not salvation at all. It doesn't make any sense at all. And I think that's one of the problems when we talk about you know like things like ask Jesus into your heart and those mm-hmm. those cliche things mm-hmm. is we're not understanding salvation because salvation has just become this thing that's devoid of the act of saving. Mm-hmm. It's almost more of just this formula. Yeah. One, two, three, you're saved. It's this add Jesus to my life and adding Jesus to what I am doing into my life and make my life better. It's almost uh, like this kind of salvation by works, go to church, do the yeah. things, check off the boxes, mm-hmm. you're saved. Yeah, yeah. And we'll talk about some false gospels here a little bit later. But salvation apart from understanding what you're saved from doesn't really, it's not the gospel. And so I think. To answer that question, I think it's really important in in presenting the gospel that we first get people lost before we get mm-hmm. them saved. Mm-hmm. We help them to understand the, the need for salvation by helping them to understand that they are lost, that they are you know uh, damned before God, that they are uh, under the wrath of God. And if we don't get them to understand the wrath of God, salvation doesn't doesn't mean anything. And that's unfortunately a lot of presentations of the gospel leave out what the point of salvation is. But now that we understand the Mm -hmm. bad news Mm -hmm. and the excitement of the good news, Mm -hmm. part of this good news is this kingdom building. Yeah. And why that's so important uh, is because... Uh, well, one of the main reasons because Jesus thought it was important, and so Jesus thinks it's important. I should think it's important, right? But the Bible says in Mark chapter 1, it says that Jesus came into Galilee, and he was preaching. Notice what he's preaching. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So, beginning of Jesus' ministry, he is coming to preach the good news of the kingdom and saying that the kingdom is here and that you need to be a part of this kingdom. You need to repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? Mm -hmm. The good news is that Jesus has come to set up his kingdom. And that that he is establishing that. And again, and you have an open invitation mm-hmm. to come and be a part, yes. to step out of the darkness of mm-hmm. the bad news and into yes. the glorious light. Yes, exactly. And and, and then again, in, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, the Bible says, and he went to all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, and he's preaching. What is he preaching? He's preaching the king, the gospel of the kingdom. And this is the message of Jesus Christ. The good news is that that Christ has come and is 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 king. 
that he is coming as king to establish a kingdom, and that kingdom is one in which this world hates, and those who are uh, who are not in this kingdom, they are they're going to be judged by the wrath of God. The wrath of the king is going to come upon all who are not in the kingdom. And the heart of the gospel, the good news, is that Christ's arrival is this moment in which this king has come to install his kingdom and to invite people into his kingdom. And you look at all of the parables, and they're all telling these parables, these, these stories, to help us to understand that. A certain man goes and he has the you know these servants and they he bids them to come into his kingdom and one says I'm busy I can't come I've married a wife or I can't do that they're all making reasons why they can't be a part of the kingdom mm-hmm. and there it's this picture that he's trying to show of the reasons why people don't want to be a part of the good news and part of this kingdom. And a lot of his parables, almost all of them begin with, and the kingdom of heaven is like. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it's trying to understand, help us to understand the good news. Mm-hmm. The king has come, and he's inviting us into his kingdom. But you, of your own accord, you don't deserve to be in this kingdom, and you shouldn't be in this kingdom. In fact, you should be under the wrath of the king. But Christ is coming to uh, invite you and to make a way by which you can be a part of the kingdom. And so, in other words, in short, the gospel, a gospel that doesn't have Christ as the king, is a false gospel. A gospel that is devoid of this idea of Christ is my king. The good news is that I was out of the kingdom that I was, I was my own king, that I was, uh, or I was following after the kingdoms of this world, and I was following after the kingdoms of darkness. But the good news is, and, and in doing all those things, I was under the wrath of God, but the good news is that there's this new king that has come to, in, to make a way that I could be a part of the kingdom of God, and that the reason why that's so important, and I, I, I hope this is clear to people, is that in coming into the gospel, the good news requires you being a servant of the king. Does that make sense? Do you see that? Like, a gospel devoid of of you and I being in the kingdom of God and serving under a king is not the real gospel. It's a false gospel. And a gospel that doesn't require... What Jesus says when he says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take, him his, uh, take up his cross and follow me. It's a false gospel because it's this cloaked gospel, which is one in which, you know, adds Jesus to my life, but I'm still the king of my life. And that's just a false gospel. This, this, this gospel, which says, you know, it's all about, you know, improving my life and making my life better. It's a false gospel because the true gospel is the good news that I get to serve a different king because prior to what Christ done, has done, I have no ability to serve any other master, or any other king, but, you know, the devil and darkness. And uh, yeah, it's, it's so important to recognize that the gospel has at its core this understanding that 
it's attached to serving a king. So we understand that we were a part of some really bad news. Mm-hmm. And then the good news is that the kingdom is here and we have an invitation to become a part of it, but mm-hmm. it's up to us to decide whether or not to step into it. Mm-hmm. But when we do, we are now a part of this good news and it's our job to spread the good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to, to, to really appreciate and to value uh, the good news and, and to do so in a way in which uh, it, 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 it draws us to serve the king. And, and I, I live in the good news because of the king and I serve uh, uh, the, the good news and I spread the good news because I serve and I love the king, not out of a duty-based or not out of because uh, I have to, but because I recognize he has brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light and that my previous destination was death and the wages of that you know, of my sin being death. But now uh, in Christ and, and the good news of what he's done, I obey him. I serve the king. And in doing so, I live in the kingdom. And, you know, that is in a nutshell, in a short, you know, uh, understanding, that's what the gospel really is. The, the thing about the gospel that is we really have to watch is for false gospels, right? What's the gospel not? So I kind of talked about and defining shortly what the gospel is. Um, but there's, there's a lot of false gospels. The, 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 the power of the gospel is the fact that there's really only one gospel and that everything that's not that is a false gospel. There's no such thing as two gospels. Uh, that's what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 1. He talks about how he's the whole book of Galatians is all about Paul defending the gospel, Paul presenting the gospel against false gospels. And in chapter 1, he talks about, he says, I'm so amazed. I, I, I just marvel at the fact that you guys are so quickly going to another gospel. And then he makes a little preface there where he says, although there's not really another gospel, mm-hmm. But it's a false gospel, right? So what what's Paul trying to help them to understand is that what you're you're saying is another gospel is actually there's no such thing as another gospel. It's a false gospel because there's only one true, genuine gospel, and everything else is a false gospel. And so the reason why so many false gospels are so easily spread is because too few people know the true gospel. Right, if you if, if if the church as a whole and the people in the pews and and the preachers, frankly, <laughs> you know, would preach a true gospel and would have that as as a as a as a depth of what they're preaching and presenting to people, false gospels will be really evident, will be very clear for people to see. But when we muddy the waters with the gospel, it makes other gospels seem true and genuine and seem to be uh, appealing. But they're they're false and they're they're fake, and that's what uh, John in First John he he doesn't mince any words when he's talking about the gospel and false gospels, and he calls those who spread them he calls them antichrist. In fact, the only time in Scripture where the word antichrist is used is in First John, where he's laying out those who are presenting a false gospel. They're antichrist by very definition. 
because they're spreading a false gospel, mm-hmm. they're an antichrist. They have that antichrist spirit. And a lot of times when people think about antichrist, they're always like, oh, end times things, when the antichrist is going to come and all that. But we don't realize that it could be right within our church. Yeah. And that's what First John, he says, he says, you know, the antichrist is among you already. Mm-hmm. Like, like, don't you see that those who are spreading false gospels, by definition, they are an antichrist and they have the antichrist spirit. And we have to guard against that and watch against that. And the only way we can guard against a false gospel is by first knowing the true gospel and having that really understood and really adept of what that means and, and understanding that from a biblical perspective. Then you can spot and understand false gospels. You know, it's, it's like the illustration of, uh, you know, counterfeit uh, one of my first jobs I ever worked at was uh, I was a teller at a bank, and the way that they would have us to know what counterfeit they gave you a whole bunch of counterfeit money, right? No, right, yeah. <laughs> right. All they did was literally. I remember <laughs> training just for a long time, just sitting there playing with with money. I mean, mm-hmm. they just said, "Here, sit here, genuine, uh, yeah, and real. just feel it, uh-huh. look at it, play with it, crumple it up, just do whatever you want to it." I mean, literally, I could. They say you can rip it. You can do whatever you want with it. Uh-huh. Just feel it. Get get familiar with the real. Mm-hmm. Spend time with the real, and so that when a counterfeit slips in, yeah, it stands out immediately. You're like, oh, this is not what I've that been trained to to know. This is not what I that I've been accustomed to, and it becomes false very very clearly. There's a sermon there somewhere with playing with counterfeit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, but. See, what the, the counterfeit gospel does, the fake gospel does, is the same thing that a counterfeit you know, dollar is trying to do. They put enough of the real in there that if you're not trained to know what the real complete thing is, at first glance, it will look appealing. Uh, and so we're going to go through a couple of those real quickly and look at them uh, to help uh, us to be aware of these. But before we can really get a grasp of what are false gospels, uh, what I've tried to do and what I hope we'll be able to accomplish is that you get a good grip on what the true gospel is. So one false gospel that I think is really important that we look at and address is works-based gospel, right? Uh, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, but basically it's this idea that the good news is, uh, part of the good news is something I earn, something I do to earn as part of salvation. That that yes, Jesus on the cross did work and that he did you know, most of the work, <laughs> but I bring something to the table that helps to add to what Christ did. And so my works are are the thing that make me stand before God, that make me justified before God, that, that in some way my actions earn 
my salvation. And this is a false gospel in in a really subtle way because— We have the verse, faith without works is dead. Yes. And people and, could use that to defend. But I believe, I would say that that's more of a, a proof that you have faith. Sure. So, yeah. So, so works is the product mm-hmm. of faith, but it's not the—or uh, the, 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 or let me say it this way. It's the fruit of faith. It's the produce of faith, but it's not the root cause. It's mm. not the thing mm-hmm. that that is the initiator yes. of it. And I think that's a really big distinction when you understand what faith is. Faith is more than just a mental assent to or a mental agreeing with, but faith that is genuine, James argues in that text there that you brought up, that, that faith, by definition, Faith is something that has works associated with it, but it's not the thing that is um, the, the the works aren't the thing that save us. But it's just the thing that's the the product of our faith. If you believe something, you're going to act accordingly according to that belief. But it's the faith in Christ is the thing that is the the saving aspect or the saving uh, you know cause, and so. To to think that our works are the thing that could uh, bring our salvation is is sneaky in the fact that we often want to to feel like we've done something to earn uh, our way to God, and if that was the case, you know uh, what Paul says. He says it's it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? If we get into a works based game where we're earning salvation. It's 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 literally impossible. First of all, it's impossible to earn our righteousness. But second of all, there's no way to really know if we ever did it, mm-hmm. because how do you know if you ever did enough to earn? I mean, this is the problem with so many other false religions because they're all works based. Is the person who is works based in their salvation, they never know if they're truly saved, because they never know if they've earned and done enough to to earn. Uh, the the favor of God, and so it's tricky in the fact that you know some Christians want to get into this works based uh, mindset when they think about salvation, and they think, well, I, I you know I look at me, I've gone to church, I've read my Bible, I've talked to God, and so God must be pleased at me because I've done these things, and I must have I must be saved because I'm doing good things. And that's just such a false gospel, and it's really a, a hamster wheel that leads nowhere. <laughs> because the truth of the matter is that our our sin is the thing that we can't get out of. Like we have we have we have wronged God, and we cannot right our relationship with God by our own means. That our unrighteousness is at, or and our attempts at righteousness, Paul says, is as filthy rags. Like it's, it's, it's stench in the no, in the nostrils of God. And so, the only way that we can approach God is by grace, by faith alone, and that it's the work of Christ. That that the only thing that I bring to salvation is the sin that needs saving. That's what I bring to the table. My works is sin. And that Christ has done everything else. And, and what I do is I either accept that or I reject that. 
I either accept Christ's work or I reject Christ's work. That's the thing that I, I choose, whether, whether I accept it or reject it. But what do I bring to the table? I, I don't bring anything but my sin to the table. And the things that I do for God, the work that I do for him, I don't do it to earn anything, earn his favor, earn salvation. I do it because I love the king, and I appreciate the king, and I'm thankful for all the king does. And I don't try to, you know, I'm not doing it at, to, to, to please men. That's what Paul talked about in Galatians. He says, I don't do the things that I do to please men. Because if I was trying to please men, I wouldn't be doing the things that I do. But I'm trying to please God, and that's why I do what I do. I try to please God. I try to please my king because he saved me. And I, I'm not trying to earn the favor of the king, but having been accepted into the kingdom, I want to be the very best servant I can be. And I'm not a perfect servant. Nobody is, right? But my entrance into the kingdom isn't based upon my works. It's based upon the work of Christ. Um, and so I think, I think that works-based salvation is really uh, sneaky and can, and can get into a, a, a mindset of a believer that will cause them to, to try to do things out of an, an effort to please God from an aspect of wanting to earn their way when they really just need to come back to the basic gospel and understand, I can't do it. I never could. And I just got to accept uh, what Christ has done and to do what I do out of love for the king and not out of an attempt to earn my way to him. We've heard the phrase before, uh, you need to be put into your place. Um, uh, and I think we kind of need to turn that around and say that we need to put ourselves in our rightful place mm -hmm. of realizing who we are and what we bring, which is nothing. Mm -hmm. So moving on to some other false gospels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so another one that is really prevalent is the prosperity gospel. And this idea is that the point of the gospel is that God wants us to be physically healthy materially wealthy and happy. Like the point of the gospel is to improve my life. And it's very self self-focused, mm -hmm, very yes. inward. Yeah, it is. And the thing that's sneaky about every false gospel is there is a little bit of grain of truth mm -hmm. in it, right? That the gospel does make my life better, you know, I'm not living in sin, I'm not you know, you know, the sin is hard on us, and mm -hmm. and and so it does it it does have a little grain of truth in it. But the the, the thing that really makes it at 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 to be an error is this idea that you know that that's the purpose of it is to improve my life, and it's not about dealing with sin and eternal things, but it's all about material things. It's all about physical, temporal, carnal things is where the prosperity gospel goes off the rails. Because the prosperity gospel is, it's all about, you know, uh, that God's will is for you to be healed, that God's will is for you to be materially wealthy, that God's, like, the point of the gospel is that you would be healthy and wealthy, and that, that, that God's purpose in sending Jesus was to give you a good life. 
And that's a f- completely false gospel, especially when you understand it from a New Testament context. The disciples, none of them get wealthy. <laughs> none of them are particularly healthy. Most of them are beaten or in prison or beheaded, right? They're, 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 not, they're not promised happiness or their best life now, right? But it's, they understand that they're serving a king and a kingdom that's not of this world. That the point of the gospel is not about the here and now, but it's about eternal things. It's about an eternal weight of glory. And so this this idea that the the gospel is all about, you know, making you healthy and wealthy, it turns the gospel, the good news, into temporal things. It turns the gospel into things that are carnal in their uh in their outflow, you know. It's about how much you know, making more money and being more prosperous and looking good and comparing myself to others. And it's just, it's a total, uh, total heresy, frankly, uh, of what the true gospel is about. Because really at the, 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 the basis of the prosperity gospel, as you mentioned earlier, it's really just about selfish, carnal desire, right? And it's trying to gain these things with a cloak of spirituality. And, um, you know, this, this idea that the purpose of the gospel is to make you healthy falls apart when you die of a sickness. <laughs> the purpose of the gospel being about wealth falls apart when you lose your job or when you lose your, your money, right? It falls apart because if it's based in those things, then it is, its foundation is so fickle. It's, it has no power. It has no lasting power. But a gospel that is true and genuine, it, it doesn't matter if you have money or not. The gospel is still true. It doesn't matter if you have health or not, because those things aren't the determination for the gospel or the truthfulness of it, but it, it, it spans so much longer and is eternal, right? And so, uh, you know, I think, frankly, for a lot of Pentecostals, um, they they don't fall for the wealthy aspect of the prosperity gospel, but if there's one part where Pentecostals are more susceptible to fall to, it's the healthy part of the prosperity gospel, that it's God's will for you to be healed. And God does heal sometimes, but sometimes he doesn't. And whether he does or doesn't has no bearing on the truthfulness of the gospel or should have any bearing on our faith, because our faith isn't based upon healings, right? Um, and so I, I think as Pentecostals, while we need to hold to a belief in divine healing, obviously, and and believe that Jesus is able to heal and that he he um, you know as as God he has the power to do that, but we also shouldn't come to this understanding and this like. That, that God has to do that. Like God's some cosmic genie that if I just believe, he's going to do what I want. Um, it's a total uh, false gospel in recognizing that, no, the truth of the matter is, you know, like Job, when he lost everything, he lost his health and his wealth, Job comes to a point where he says, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. Because Job understands that that what I have or don't have has no bearing on who God is or what he's done. 
And so to understand a prosperity gospel being false, uh, it's a real danger when your gospel, your good news is connected to material things because they'll fail. We've talked about it before, but in a brief answer, then especially with that, why pray for healing then? Mm. If we're just going to leave it in God's hands and God's omnipotence and all power, why pray? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We have a whole episode yeah, on, do, on prayer. But uh, for those who maybe can't go back, sure. Brief yeah. answer. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, two second answer. Uh, the, the, the purpose of prayer is, again, not to get God to do what I want, but it's to align my will with God's. Uh, this idea, what Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. That's the f- fundamental purpose of prayer is to align as, as a servant, to align my will with the king. And that's why Jesus, you know, in his prayer, he says, you know, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, that's the framework for prayer. And he goes on to say, you know, give us uh, this day our daily bread, you know, and, and, and we're to pray for our needs. But he says, you know, don't you know your heavenly Father? He, has, he knows what you need before you even ask. Like, the point of prayer is not that God is this cosmic Santa Claus that gives us what we want if we, if we will, you know— um, just ask right, you know, but it's ask, you shall receive, seek, you shall find, knock, the door will be open, but doing it in this framework of understanding who am I, I'm asking, who am I talking to? I'm talking to the king, and I'm the servant, and if the king chooses to do something different than what I want, he's still the king. Like, it doesn't change his kingship in any way, shape, or form if the king does something different than what the servant wants, and so that framework of understanding that part of the gospel is so many times people have their hope in the king and based upon what he does for them when they fail to recognize he's done the very biggest thing that they could ever need like he's he saved them from sin like that's the the ultimate thing that the king has done and it will outlast what the king has done has will outlast a temporal healing or temporal financial gain. Those things are so temporal. But what the king has done is eternal. And to recognize that the king might be doing something eternal in a moment that I might not understand. And to still submit myself in prayer to the king. So that would be how I would shortly answer that. But if you want more, go to that episode. false gospels Mm -hmm. and we just have to be really really careful Mm -hmm. about making sure the good news is the good news Mm -hmm. the bad news stays the bad news and Mm -hmm. that we are joining into this kingdom yeah Uh, but what else should we be weary of yeah so uh, again the way that we understand uh these false gospels and can see through them is by getting a good grip on the gospel itself and seeing that genuine uh nature of what the gospel is and from that it, you can pick apart some of these false gospels 
uh, fairly easily. And another one that is uh, really prevalent right now uh, is a once saved, always saved gospel. So basically, it's this idea, it's you know, this doctrine of eternal security where, you know, basically, once you come to saving faith in Christ, that nothing you can do will ever cause that to be in a state where you have disfellowship with God again. Like, once you come to saving faith, you are eternally secure in that faith, and nothing nothing you do can cause you to lose that salvation. And again, like with any false gospel, there there's grains of truth in it, okay? So on one extreme, we have this idea that, uh, you know, some people have that like, you know, salvation is this malleable, loose thing that, you know, I sin once and my salvation is immediately gone. It's There's no security in it at all. There's no foundation in it at all. And that's a false gospel as well, right? But this idea that I that no matter what I do after making a confession of faith, that no matter what I do, I will always be saved, again, it is a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to be saved and what it is that I'm being saved from and what it is that I'm choosing in my allegiance to. So basically, this once saved, always saved is saying that you know, if I if I believe in God as king, that's why one of the reasons why I like to bring a kingship into this, aside from the fact that it's part of the gospel, but it helps to understand these pictures and this theme. But once I I, I say, God, you're my king. Once I say that once, that, that if I go from there and begin to live and to act in such a way as though I reject that king and I continue to live uh, for the king of this world and for and make myself the king, that just because I once did that, I st- I'm, I'm actually still living for God the king, even though I'm actually really, in my life, I'm not doing that at all. Is It's a false gospel because it's a, it, it's a false allegiance. You're, like Paul said in Romans chapter 6, talking about, you are the slave to whom you obey. And if you're obeying the slave of sin and you're living under that, then it doesn't matter what you say or whether or not you had a confession of faith when you were eight years old, you're currently living as obedient to a slave to sin. And the results of that is the wrath of God. And so there is this this understanding of what salvation is, is the fact that if I'm living as a servant of the king and I'm following and that 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 salvation is secure. It's secure in the king. And if I make a mistake and I and I repent of that, you know, I'm still living under that that kingship. But if I choose to reject the king and I choose to live out from under that king, I'm now living in the bad news. I'm now being obedient to uh the the my former taskmaster of sin. And I'm no longer get the benefits of the gospel because I'm not I'm not living in the good news. I'm living under the wrath of God, and that it's it's a false gospel that frankly has really um, become more prevalent in in recent days. Uh, that is dangerous and on a multitude of different levels. So for the Christian though, who is living in the good news, mm-hmm. 
they make mistakes, though. We sure. all do. Sure. So w- what is the transition time, though, between mm-hmm. a Christian moving forward in Christ and, as we say, backsliding mm-hmm. and turning back to that life of sin? Mm-hmm. Is it a one and done? Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel that it isn't. Yeah, But sure. what is that transition time and what does that look like? Mm, yeah. There's several, th- several things I'd like to say to that, if I can, real quickly. One of them would be, you know, understanding, you know, within this context of the good news uh, of being in the kingdom, that that this idea of our allegiances are ones in which, you know, you don't just flip on and off allegiances. Like it's, it's one of the, you know, like we all make mistakes, but that doesn't mean that you're now. Uh, you know, an, uh, your allegiance is to you know Satan, mm-hmm. or one of the things that that really reveals what where our our allegiance are really lie is when we do sin. If there's guilt it, and shame, yeah, oh, 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 more than guilt. If there's a desire to repent from it, mm-hmm. yeah, because you can feel yes. sorry. For, for, true, yeah, absolutely. Especially if you get caught in something, <laughs> you can feel sorry. But what do you do about it? Yeah, but where's your allegiance to? Do you still want to live under the kingship where this is wrong and I can't keep living this way? I can't keep going down this path. And my heart's desire is that I want to repent from this. I want to turn from this. You know, you're still living in the kingdom with that attitude of I, I repent from this sin and I, I don't want to be that. I don't want to live in that. Opposed from the, uh, the allegiance which says, I don't care what the king says. I don't, you know, God is mm-hmm. king. I don't care what he says. I don't care what his rules say. I want to live the way I want to live. I'm going to be my own king. I'm going to follow my own way. Um, that reveals a fact that you aren't really living into the kingship of God at all because you don't care about the king. And so that that progression, that process, isn't always a clean one where it's you know you see well you know one moment they're saved, one moment they're not right. But it's this progression of of where where their allegiance are lying. And I think another part to help to understand from a biblical perspective. Salvation isn't just this moment. Okay, a lot of times we think about salvation as you know a isolated moment at an altar. Like I got saved on such and such day, such and such time. That's the moment I got saved, and that's really not a great way to think about salvation. Okay, we talked about this before. Oh, Saints. have we? I can't remember what, what we was, we are, and we will be. Yes, good, 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 good. Yeah. So, uh, so I was saved at a moment. And I'm being saved right now as I'm continuing to live in the gospel, continuing to live under the kingship. I'm being saved in this very moment as I'm living in that and, and, and continuing to resist the sin and the things of this world, right? I'm in that process. But there is an ultimate salvation that is yet to come when I, uh, you know, after death, that I will live in the kingdom of God free from uh, the effects of sin. And so... I think those who want to uh, present a once saved, always saved position of salvation, they really put it all in this initial moment of salvation. You got saved in an altar, well, you're saved. And they really don't understand that or fail to to understand that that salvation isn't just this isolated moment, but I have been saved, I am being saved, and I'm yet to be saved. And, you know, there's plenty of scriptures uh, we can point to and. Just quickly, I know we're going a little bit long, but one is in Hebrews chapter 10 where it says, uh, the writer says, you have need of endurance for that after you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised, talking about faith. 
for yet a very little while, and he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous ones shall live by faith. And if anyone shrinks back, draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back. We're not of those who shrink back to destruction, but we're those who, who continue to have faith to the persevering of the soul. So clearly here we're talking about, first of all, he introduces this, uh, you have need of endurance. You have need to continue in the faith because in doing so, you recognize that you have, uh, you receive the promise in your continuing and that, you know, that we are to live by this faith and that if you draw back or you remove yourself from this faith, you reject faith, you reject Christ, that there, that there's, you're going back to destruction by doing that. And he, the writer clearly says, but, but we're, not, we're not of those. We're not those who are going to do that, but we're going to continue on to faith. Another one is Second Peter, where uh, he writes, For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandments handed unto them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returning to his own vomit, and a sow after washing returning to wallow in the mire. So Peter is, is, is saying, you know, it's better for those who return to their unrighteous acts and return to living under the kings of this world or their own kingdom and stop serving Christ. It would be better that they never have known. Because now they're under a, a double guilt, having having yes. having experienced the kingship of God and having ex- experienced the good news of the gospel, and to go back to the bad news and go back to living under that and going back to living under the wrath of God, it, it, it's, 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 it's a dog going back to vomit for a human to go back to being under the wrath of God. It's it's a, it's a pig going back to the mud for for humanity to go back to that state, and so uh, there there's more we could talk about on that. But this idea that that once you accept Christ one time at an altar, then then that's all that you need f- to continue in salvation is a false gospel and should be rejected. So if you've listened to this podcast. You know, <laughs> so you are part of that group that you should not return. I believe we have progressed so far in this mm-hmm. episode of understanding of what the good news is, yes, what the bad news was, mm-hmm. that we're living in this kingdom, and it's our job to to spread it mm-hmm. and share it, yeah, and grow with it, sure, absolutely, and to uh to recognize that salvation uh you know we're saved from something uh from the wrath of God, and that in doing so, in living in this uh, this salvation, living in this kingdom, I I'm doing so out of an allegiance to the King, that I didn't earn my spot here, and that I uh, my spot here doesn't guarantee that I'll have earthly possessions or uh, wealth or health, but that I can trust that it's an eternal thing that perishes not away, as First Peter talks about that it's not of corruptible things, but this treasure that we have in earthen vessels, uh, it's all about for the glory of God, that salvation, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom is all about the glory of God, that he is revealing his goodness. He's revealing his 
faithfulness. He's revealing his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's it's this good news that we get to experience now in this age, but that we're going to get to experience for eternity in the age to come, having been saved and as we are yet to be saved. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Questions of Faith podcast. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing and writing a review on your preferred audio platform. That would really help us out. This show was produced by Brad Stevens, theme music by the band Liquify. Questions of Faith is a ministry of Faith Tabernacle Assembly of God located in Denton, Texas. The goal of this podcast is to equip the modern day Christian with answers to timeless questions. If you would like to submit a question that may be highlighted on the show, you may do so by emailing us. That email address is questions at ftdenton.com. You may also submit a question by messaging our Facebook page, Questions of Faith Podcast. And until next Monday, God bless.